Now then, welcome back, Shadows. It's yet another episode of Sitcom Archive Deep Dive Overdrive with me, Eggs Benedict. And yeah, it's me, Alison Barton Simmons. We're on to the fourth episode of the classic but lesser seen John Sullivan 1980 sitcom, Dear John. It's the party this week, which was first shown in the UK on the 10th of March 1986. Yep, 13.21 million people watched it, apparently. Slightly up on last week. You will enjoy it. You will enjoy it. Um, I've got, um, if you're interested, I've got a bit of a 1986 quiz, if you want to take part then. Oh, go on then. You twisted me arm. As if I didn't ask you to do it about an hour ago. <laughs> do you know what? It's it's hard putting these together because I I, I don't know about you. I remember 1986 as being one of the, the the first years where I had some kind of consciousness of of the world and what went on and and like news and big mm. events. So when I think back to being a kid, a lot of the things that happened around this time seem to be the things that I've got melted into my brain as um, as world events. Okay. Do, are you like that? Do you feel like that about this time of your life? I don't think of a certain year as being the first year I became aware of stuff outside of my mm. little bubble. But I do think of my parents, even now, as being 37 and 36. Do you? Because that was there was a point in my youth where I became aware of their ages. And therefore, they're always that to me now, even though I'm 45 next week. That's weird you said that, because I've got a very similar feeling. My mum is always 38 because I remember when she turned 38 she couldn't remember whether she was 38 or 39 and me being around seven Mm. couldn't understand how do you not know how old you are how do you not know whether you're 38 or 39 surely everybody knows exactly what their age is and and I found it a real struggle to, to comprehend how someone wouldn't know so in my head she's always 38 39 I went through that when I was 42 I think I thought I was turning 43 yes and then I found out I had another year of my life left. And I thought, ugh. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Fucking hell, is it, more is it, of just, it. is it just like an, an older middle-aged thing that you suddenly forget how old you are? Is it not having a... Because you don't have parties, do you? You don't have, like, cake no. and balloons and stuff. Maybe it's when, you, when it's inconsequential. I mean, there are people who lie about their age and are obsessed about numbers. And mm. when it doesn't matter to you very much, perhaps you just lose track. Another day, another year just goes by and you, you know... Yeah. That's it. Well, maybe I'm just shit at maths. Maybe that's what, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Well, anyway, I do have a quick a quick 1986 quiz. Okay. Of, of some of the happenings during during the year that this episode of of Dear John was on TV in the UK. So, are you ready? I am, as long as none of the questions mention the FA Cup final because that's a sore point in 1986 for me. But go on. Okay. Oh dear. Right. <laughs> no, I'm not, no. <laughs> right. Number one, which team <laughs> won the Men's Football World Cup? Oh, that's in, all right. In this year. Uh, that would be Argentina. It was, with the infamous Maradona's Hand of God. Yes, yep. Bonus points here. Which band released a song the following year about that event? About the Hand of God? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, I don't know that. No, I never heard a, a song about it. New Order. New Order had a song called Touched by the Hand mm. of God, which Did was they? based loosely around Maradona's um, Hand of Hand of God goal. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, obviously I knew New Order did the 1990 England Yes, song. you did. You know, the, yeah. 
Have you, have you heard um, in recent years, sorry to go off on a, on a tangent, but have you heard, you know, the John Barnes segment in that? Yeah, the rap. Yeah, yeah. There were some outtakes that only surfaced last year of other players who were asked to do <gasps> the rap. So Paul Gascoigne was doing the rap, and that sounded pretty rubbish. But the best one was undoubtedly Peter Beardsley doing the rap. Oh, was it inaudible? Pretty much, yeah. I can't imagine that whoever... <laughs> Whoever thought it was a good idea didn't just do it as a piss take. Do you know what I mean? Oh, uh, where did you hear this? It's on YouTube. Is it? Oh, I might have a look at that after. To hold and give, but at the right time, you can be slow or fast, but you must get to the line. They'll always hit you and hurt you. Defend and attack. There's only one way to beat them. Get around the back. Catch me if you can, cause I'm the England man. And what you're looking at is the master plan. We ain't no hooligan. This ain't a football song. Three lines on my chest. I know we can go. But yeah, imagine, imagine rapping with Peter Beardsley. Oh my God. What a strange decision. Yes. I think I need to see that later though. Okay, number two. In which Soviet Republic was the Chernobyl reactor that exploded in April of 1986? Oh, God, I don't even know any of the Soviet republics. I'm really bad with geography. Uh, give us the first letter. You. Oh, would that be Ukraine? <laughs> yes, it was Ukraine. It was. Apparently, the, the, um, the, the fallout from the explosion spread as far as like Sweden and Finland. And I remember when we were at primary school... Being to- I don't know why we were told not to do this. Don't open your mouth when it's raining. So don't catch rainwater in your mouth because it might yeah. be like acid rain. It might it might be reactor like in Flash Gordon. Reactor rain, yeah. We were told mm. not to run around with our mouths open. Yeah, there was a lot of um I suppose you, I suppose there's parallels with COVID really that you know, a lot of misinformation. But I suppose back then you didn't have the internet to um, magnify no. it and I wonder where that came from, though. I wonder if school were like had a had a letter from the government to say, mm. "Don't run around, don't let your kids run around with the mouths open when it's raining." Number three, which of the space shuttles disintegrated on takeoff from Cape Canaveral in this year? Mm, I should know that one. I do remember it happening. I do remember it happening even as a kid because it's quite a big deal. But when I think of space shuttles, I can only think of Apollos. Right, after it's, it's after the Apollos. No, I'm not going to get it. Okay. It was Challenger. Challenger. You see, yeah, now you say it, that mm. does ring a bell. Which had the first teacher in space. It was like a, a big a big deal that they were sending like the first ever um, teacher into space, first ever um, like citizen into space. Teacher? Yeah, Christy McAuliffe, she was going to do a, teach, a teacher in space thing and she was going to... Um, Who's she going to teach? She was going to do it by, by satellite. Oh, okay. T- teach America's children from space, but um, all the all these kids had like, you know, the telly was wheeled in for a to for them to watch the launch, and and yeah, I've got I've got a, I've got a bit of a, a factoid about about Challenger. There were talks for Big Bird to go up in Challenger. Yeah, they were going to go up in. Bird. I think it was part of space. the discussions of what we, what can we do to get sort of kids engaged in like STEM subjects. Yeah, and Big Bird. Was 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 sort of like, it was an idea to send Big Bird up, and he would obviously be in space and could speak to the children via satellite. But the costume was too big, so they couldn't get him on board. Thank God! Can you imagine? Well, could he not have gone? Could he not have gone? 
Not as Big Bird. Well, he just got the... dressed up as Big Bird <laughs> yes, when he got up there. He couldn't fit in the seat. <laughs> the helmet couldn't fit over his feathers. That seems a bit silly. <laughs> I think it was more to do with getting the costume on board. There's just obviously limited space. Right. To, to get... <laughs> Because he's tiny. Did they try and get Oscar the Grouch on, but there was no room for his bin either? <laughs> Imagine because then if, if something would have happened, that that'd have been Big Bird gone. You couldn't have had Big Bird on, on Sesame Street ever again. But then Because he'd be dead. Were they set were they sending the actual actor who did Big Bird? They, I think they were sending the costume. I don't right, know whether okay. they were sending the, the actor who, who voiced him or whether it was just yeah. the costume and then one of the astronauts was gonna dress up as Big Bird, perhaps. Yeah, that would have made more sense and then the voiceover coming here on the terra firma. But it wouldn't matter because if big if, if all these kids saw Big Bird, oh, there he is, he's getting on the spaceship, he's off he goes, um, yeah. and then bang, no more Big Bird, and then they couldn't put Big Bird on Sesame Street ever again. I reckon if that had happened, they would have fabricated some story for the kids that just saw Big you know, like done some sort of clever Kubrick-style... <gasps> CGI of him flying yeah. back down. Yeah, well, not CGI back in them days, but they got a, could have got Kubrick in like they did for the moon landings. <laughs> just had Big Bird coming back down through the atmosphere, burning up on impacts, but oh. he had enough feathers to sort of protect his... Am I overthinking this, Al? I wonder what... Oh, God, that, that, that spooked me a little bit then. I don't, I don't like oh. the idea of, of losing Big Bird, you know. And the people as well, obviously, and the, and the astronauts. If you're going to send any puppets into space, Orville's the one to go, I think, because then we don't hear from him again. Mm. Yeah, I hate that fly dog. with his flapping wings. Oh dear! Is that it? Or is it the fourth one? No, I've got another one. Um, which stage musical debuted this year in the West End? West End, starring the unlikeliest of clumsy stars. Oh, you're not even going to tell me who it is. No, no, you need to. You need to. Unlikeliest of clumsy stars. Uh, Picture him on roller it... skates. Is it Jimmy Cricket? No. It wasn't um, Jimmy Cricket, no. <laughs> uh, so it's Michael Crawford. It is um, Michael Crawford. And he was, it called? was the Phantom of the Opera? It was, well done. It Not was Jimmy the Phantom Cricket. of the Opera. I can't picture it. I found this really weird because obviously knowing him as, um, what's he called on roller skates? Frank Spencer. Frank Spencer. It, the two characters do not align in my head. No. But that's it. Which is good. That's obviously that's obviously uh, because of his, his his acting ability. Yeah, the breadth of his work. These days, yeah. these days, it's more common for people to be a bit of everything, isn't it? You mm. don't necessarily get pigeonholed. You get a comedian who will then become a singer, like yeah. Jason Manford, who's now you know he's got yes. a good voice, or yeah. whoever it might be. If they've got another talent, they can just go and put it out there. And because of the world we live in, if they're any good at it, usually they'll be accepted. Yeah. Or, or like in this case of Stefan Dennis, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan Dennis, oh yeah. Oh. He famously had a um, launch party, a launch gig, where only 49 people turned up at. <gasps> Is that right? Massive venue hired, yeah. Poor Stefan. Oh dear. But he had a job to go back to at Lassiter's, so. I know, that's it, Paul Robinson. He was a um, good manager, weren't he? Mm, yeah, not so, not so much a good husband. no. Number five, this is a final question. It's another yep. space one, sorry. Um, which precursor of the International Space Station was launched into orbit in 1986 and was briefly home to the first Brit in space in 1991? I'm not going to get that, unless it's Red Dwarf. It wasn't Red Dwarf. 
No, no idea. Lister wasn't the first Brit in space then, no. It was the Mia space station, and yeah, it was home to Helen Sharman, who was the first Brit in space. I know a lot of people think that Tim Peake was the first Brit in space, but he wasn't. They didn't send Zig and Zag up as well. (laughs) No, they didn't, no. (laughs) They all love me. They all love me. That's really weird that you said that, because I saw that video in full, bizarrely, the other day, and remembered just how odd it was. They were like stars of of Breakfast TV, weren't they? They Zig and Zag. I thought they were great. I loved Zig and Zag. We should have a Zig and Zag spin-off podcast. I bet there is one. There should be if there isn't. <laughs> Let's get in touch with Zig and Zag. Zig and Zag, see if, yeah, see if they'll come on. You got three out of five. Did I? Yeah, well, three out of six with the um, the answer, the new order. Oh, yeah, okay. Single answer. Well, it's done. space that threw me. I'm not so oh, good with space. I, I always, yeah, it's a bit, I'm, I, I get, I get excited, overexcited about space. Should we get stuck in then? Let's do that. So this is Series 1, Episode 3, The Party. Episode 4. What did I say? 3. Series 1, Episode (laughs) 4, The Party. Dear John, dear John, by the time you read this line, I'll be gone. The start of this one, after the credits roll and we get the quick highlights of John's divorce again, like we do at the start of every episode, to the shrill theme tune. It starts off with John coming out of school and he catches a kid smoking, doesn't he? And it admonishes him, telling him it's a filthy habit. He does. This kid's proper like brass necking tea. He's like... Yeah. Proper cocky. Yeah. He looked like a grain jail kid. He did. He did. He removes his gum and he just carries on puffing, doesn't he? He's just like, oh, sorry, sir. Throws his gum on the floor. Love it. Incidentally, did you did you see that they're bringing Grange Hill back? As a film? I did. I did. I've got a bit, I've got a bit of a tale, actually, about this. So in, in the UK, on Breakfast TV, they had Phil Redmond on at the start of the year talking mm. about this very thing about Grange Hill film for, I think it's for, I think it's due 2023 so next year it's all it's all due to be released yeah and Phil Redmond was on breakfast tv and when i was about 7 so around the t- around the time that this episode of dear john was out i had a, a an existential crisis and panicked thinking that i had to go to grange hill i assumed that all children left primary school oh, yeah. and then went to grange hill you mentioned it on the podcast, I think. I think you? I did. Yeah. I think I did. So um, I, I had this panic and had to be sort of like talked down off the ceiling because I thought, oh my God, I don't know I'm going to cope with like Mr. Bronson and Imelda and, and it's going to be awful and I'm going to have to take drugs. And I'm I just really worried. And so I, I tweeted Naga Munchetta, who is the one of the presenters, to say this very thing, to say, oh God, I, I, I panicked when I was little that I had to go to Grange Hill. And they read out my tweet to Phil Redmond on Breakfast TV Live yeah. and he, and he, and he publicly, publicly apologised to me. Well, better late than never, Phil. Which I thought was very sweet. How sweet is that? Oh, good on, good on him, Phil. Yeah. As this kid, you know, carries on 
puffing his cigarettes, an older girl comes along and she says, Good night, Mr Lacey. Have a good weekend. See you Monday morning. Little fluttery eyelashes. Yeah, I don't know if she's flirtatious or just a fucking brown-nosed sycophant. You know, one of them who bring a teacher an apple. Okay. I I saw it as being more more flirty. I thought she was flirty. Yeah, they'd sort of pan down to her hips as she walked away, didn't they? She walked away with a wiggle, didn't she? Yes, she did. And John sort of looked after her, but I didn't think he was looking lasciviously, really. But his friend Ken, fellow teacher, comes up behind him and insinuates that he's a nonce. Not so many words. Yeah, he sings, Oops, there goes another teacher's career, which I did think was quite funny. <laughs> I think he, he says uh, you, you'll be going to the hockey pitches to cut the oranges and rub in the liniment. Actually, no, he says it like this. He says, oh, you'll be going to the hockey pitches to cut the oranges and rub the liniment in. What? Like the major from Faulty Towers? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? what? Old boy? Yeah, that's it's quite it's quite sort of problematic that intake. Ken's quite pro- he's he's um I don't know. I he's think a I think Ken's quite a perv, isn't you know, he? We we see in the next two episodes along I think that Ken is definitely a sleaze. I thought then that John was sort of holding that at arm's length almost at first to say, No, no, that's not what I'm doing mm. But then he says, Well, not when there's a netball match going mm. on and I thought, Oh Come no, on, John Hashtag different times. You dirty perv. Yeah, so Ken reluctantly invites John to his wedding anniversary. And it seems that basically the reason he hasn't invited him to this party for his wedding anniversary is it's a couple's only thing and he just felt it was awkward because John is not a couple. Yeah. However, Ken is paying an inordinate amount of interest in John's club, which he's built up in his mind to be some sort of sordid sex swinging club. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He says, oh, you rascal, you certainly live the life and all this sort of carry on. Yeah, and I think this is actually just setting the scene for a couple of episodes along where, where, where Ken comes along to the one-to-one club yeah. after a bit of action himself because he's a dirty old perv. Yeah. John does that thing of not outright lying like Kirk does, but he doesn't correct the misconception either, does he? No, he doesn't. No. He lets him just sort of hang there and lets Ken just believe that hmm. that's the case, that it is it is this sex den that he goes to. Yeah, he's quite happy. I think, you know, I feel sorry for him, really, because he's just trying to seem more interesting to his mates, isn't he? Yeah. Immediately after this, John actually gets a lift from Ken and there's a high street scene ensues, which I'm sure... Outdoor shot of a KFC. (laughs) Yeah, I was very excited. Give you a lady boner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he did. Oh, the, the... Just everything about it. Just 1980s streets. The colour, the colour of everything, the palette of the, of the, of the shots... And just seeing old, I don't know, just old buildings and old signs and old lettering. It does. I like I like stuff. I love stuff like that. That KFC didn't actually say KFC. Do you see what it said? No, I didn't see what it said. It said, in full written words, Kentucky Fried Chicken. There was no KFC. It was the whole thing no. was laid out. It used to be, yeah, they don't call it Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore, do they? No. Because was there not some... Was there not some really, I think it was a bit of a stretch, but there was some mythical story about they couldn't call it Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore because they were like franken chickens. They weren't, they, they, they were so far from being chicken that they couldn't call them chicken anymore because they were like, they were just breeding these poor birds with no beaks and no heads and, and no <laughs> what wings. Were, what were they, just torsos? Just like... Just lumps of, of like animal. How would you eat if you beans. had no head? I don't know. They were, honestly, they were that they were like beakless, featherless 
monstrosities. So they couldn't, they couldn't if call it. If any lawyers from um, Kentucky Fried Chicken are listening <laughs> to this podcast, then I want to disassociate myself with that. Yeah. Opinion. It's, it's, um, it, it was what I can't think what, what they called. Conspiracy theories. Why can't I remember? Why couldn't I remember what conspiracy <laughs> theories were? It was like, yeah, one of those weird conspiracy theories that that's why you couldn't call KFC Kentucky Fried Chicken anymore. Where I went to school, I went to school in Telford, Shropshire. I went to school in a part of Telford called Wellington, even though I live in Wellington, New Zealand now. How weird. I went to school in Wellington, in Telford. And in that town, there was, <laughs> there was, a, there was a fast food restaurant called Telford Fried Chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Telford Fried Chicken. <laughs> um, it was always a joke just in school that like, if you went in there, you were... A jippo, basically. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're going to McDonald's now. You're going to TFC, aren't you? TFC. Oh. <laughs> yeah. There was also another place in that town called Four Star Pizza. Four Star. Yeah, it's like they had um, a conflab at the when they were setting up the business and like, right, what's it? Should we give it five? No, oh, come on, steady on. We're not that good. <laughs> Four Star Pizza. Four Star. Wow. Yeah. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> Obviously, they must have just been people who only had a, uh, a rating framework of four stars. Of four stars, maybe was it was it was that the, the highest you could get in stars? It was that time? it was the highest you could get in fingers in Telford. I'm telling you, <laughs> just lost a whole demographic from our listeners. Shit there. Oh. Anyway, there was reference to um, Ken said something about late night shopping on Thursdays in Tesco's. Yeah, I got excited about that as well. That made me wonder, is it possible that Thursday was the only day of the week that supermarkets opened in the evenings in the 80s? Possibly, yes. I do remember late night Thursday being being a definite thing where, uh, especially near to Christmas, yeah. where shops stayed open later. Not every night of the week, but Thursday definitely. I think I used to work on my mum's stall and it was Thursday night that we, that we stopped open. I think that's still a fairly recent thing in memory, but what do they mean mm. by evening? Did they shut at something silly like six? I think so, yeah. I bet they did. I bet they shut at like you know, like opening like proper opening hours, like nine till five, and then oh shut. God. And nobody shot to the evening. If it was, yeah, if you missed it, you missed it. Well, that must have been the, the bloody death knell for local shops then. You know the ones who'd sell you. You'd get the munchies at night, and you'd want to mm. go for a, for a bar of dairy milk or something. You just nipped to Tesco after yeah. nineteen eighty nine or whatever. Mm. So on the journey, Ken reveals to John that he recently bumped into Jennifer Asquith. The other day. Yes. Yeah. And she's John's old girlfriend. Fiance. They were engaged. Hmm. Yeah, they were engaged. Oh. They went to... We found out in due course that they went to uni together. They were together for four years. And uh, Ken says she looks stunning. He said, you knew her in the budding stage. And now she's in full bloom and you should see the petals on her. Bloody Ken. Ken. Dirty bastard. Right, bugger, isn't he? And then we hear John's audible inner monologue reveal that she packed him in for an American airman. Mm. Don't, that's a job title you don't hear a lot of these days, do you? No, airman. that seems quite... Um, I, I don't know how I'd associate that with like the Second World War. It's not something yeah. I would associate with the late 70s, perhaps. I don't know. In fact, if you met someone at a party and you're like, oh, what do you do for a living? They said, oh, I'm an airman. A fucking pretentious prick. <laughs> 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 you mean you're an air yeah. steward or a pilot? An yeah, an airman. But uh, Ken's pushing John to get in touch with her, and John's sort of playing it very aloof. 
but, but as soon as it fades to the next scene and he enters his, his lobby, his hallway outside his flat. Yeah. Oh, my God, he's overexcited. He's very excited, yeah. He starts then talking out loud to nobody, which he does in some of these episodes. Yes. It's sort of Tony Hancock style, I suppose, is it? Is he the, mm. Was he the, the, the forefather of that thing where you just monologue out loud? Talk out loud? Don't know if he was. Mm. Probably someone else. Was it Eric Sykes? I don't know. I do remember Hancock doing it, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think Hancock did it whenever he did, mm. didn't have Sid James to bounce off or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so he's he's basically very, very excited. And Mrs. Lemensky appears in her doorway at that point, on his doorway, pointing out that he is a lunatic person and they should put, yeah. him, they should put him in a room for fruitcase people. <laughs> <laughs> she, does, she does find him, yeah, she, 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 she does worry about him, doesn't she? But I just like the the fact that she gets all the little idioms wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. She didn't say fruitcake. She said fruitcase. Fruitcase. And, and then she said he's off the trolley rather than off his trolley. Yeah. I quite like that about Mrs. Lemensky. You're a lunatic person. They should put you home for fruitcase people. So John's roosting under his bed until he finds this little black book, which presumably has Jennifer Asquith's details in just it. One, just one name in it. Yeah. <laughs> Circled underlined <laughs> and he rushes out to the communal phone to give her a ring while mrs lemensky starts pinching his kentucky fried chicken chips basically yeah she's just sort of hanging around the phone in the hall is very nostalgic when you see one Absolutely. of those phones you know it's coin operated you'd be worried about your pips you wait to wait till they answer before you put your money in yeah I remember doing that the pips are going and then having to put another 10 p in but it wasn't, I mean, I suppose it wasn't just phones in the 80s that were coin-operated. You'd have, you know, did, did you or your grandparents have that case where the electricity went off and someone had to put 50p in a metre sort of thing? I don't think so, no. I don't think we we had one of them. There were even coin-operated televisions that you'd rent from rumblers yep. and things. Yeah. I mean, imagine watching Dallas and you're just finding out you shot JR and fucking telly goes off. another 5p in. Oh, my yeah. God. Or like Arthur Fowler's coming back in at Christmas and you're like, what's he going to do? By the time you've put your, put your 50p in the meter, he's already smashed up the Christmas tree. Like, yeah, it's gone. Doo, 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 it's doo, gone. Doo, doo. Yeah. <laughs> that would be such a shitter, wouldn't it? These days you just, you know, you get credit on your phone, you pay for things in advance. They don't know how lucky they are. Everything was coin operated. Yeah. But I don't know, maybe you knew, you knew where you were then. You knew where you were because if you didn't have your 10p, you didn't get yeah. to do whatever you wanted to do. I know life's a lot easier now, isn't it? But... And coins were bigger, you were. so you'd be totally weighed down. Fucking 10p's were massive, weren't they? Things. They were huge. Yeah. And 50p's were bigger. Mm. When he introduces himself as John to this lady he gets through, she doesn't have a clue who he is, does she? Oh, it's really sad. He has to like give her pro- loads of prompts before she even realises who it is. Yeah, he tries to remind her by saying, action man. Yeah. And that's just cringe. And he says they were together for four years at uni and they even engaged, but he... It just still doesn't sound like she remembers him. It's only when he mentions his Mexican moustache <laughs> that she recalls him. Um, and his patter's terrible, isn't it? It's getting him nowhere. At one point, he headbutts the wall. Oh, he's, de- he's dead cringy, isn't it? It's a really cringy conversation to yes. only hear half of. I can't imagine how more cringy it would have been to have been able to hear her as well. Yeah, yeah. And she's obviously thinking the same thing because she blows him off by saying that she's dripping on the carpet, having gotten out of the bath. Yeah. And she says, oh, well, I'll phone you back. 
you've just moved back to London and an, an ex who you don't remember is phoning you up out of the blue. You just get out of the bath. It's the last thing you need, really, is it? Yes. So it cuts to some time later and John, who has sort of switched now again to his audible inner monologue. Mm. He, like I say, I'm not sure how well this device works. Sometimes he's just thinking and you hear it with that kind of reverb echo effect. And then yeah. sometimes he's talking to himself. Yeah. Tony Hancock style. I think it works better with the inner monologue, to be honest. Personally. Yeah. Although, would there be any need for Mrs. Lemensky if he didn't mumble out loud? Yeah, I suppose it gives her an opportunity to come in and call him a call him a politically yeah. incorrect name. Yeah. Um, yeah, so initially John thinks she's playing hard to get or the phone is broken. Yeah. But event- eventually he realises she isn't going to call back and he starts sort of self-flagellating and, and beating himself up about being such a sad sack, doesn't he? He does. Oh. And uh, Mrs. Lemensky is surprised to find him waiting at the phone still when she comes in from the street three hours later. Yeah, she says, are you still here eating chickens? <laughs> chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Got himself another Telford fried chicken. <laughs> and she also asks if the lady is very tall and fat as she takes a hell of a time to dry herself. <laughs> Sassy Mrs. Lemensky. So it transpires that John's actually called all the other names, which presumably don't amount to many, in, in, yeah, his, black book. in his black book. Mm. And he still doesn't have a date for the party, which is really what he's concerned about. I thought he was he was more holding a candle for this Jennifer Asquith, but really it's he wants to go to his friend's party, isn't it? I don't it? think he's picky. I think anybody, female. No. Well, we find out he's not picky as it goes on. <laughs> yeah. I think he heads the wall again in front of Mrs. Lemensky. <laughs> And she explains that it's the only thing that stops him from going mad, which she gives a dubious <laughs> look to. And then we cut to the one-to-one club, don't we? And Kirk is in this sort of full raconteur mode mid-story. He is. He's holding court at the one-to-one club, isn't he? Yeah. He says, you ask, did I love her? Oh, yeah, I loved her. I loved her as much as she loved me. We loved each other, you see. <laughs> Just such weak storytelling. He is. In between sort of... Telling this far-fetched tale, he claps Ralph on his shoulder where he's got a boil. And... <laughs> a boil on his shoulder? Poor Ralph. I think at one point Kirk says, she said to him, this this lady, I will never, ever make love to another man. Ed Kate says, you mean one night with you turned her into a lesbian? <laughs> I do like sort of Kate's quick retorts when it comes to, to Kirk. She, yeah. she bothered me at first because I thought, oh, gosh, she's just really aggressive and seems to shout at him no matter what he does but sometimes so a lot of her quick quick sarcastic answers to to things that he says are quite funny yeah well they're, they're both at each other really at this point aren't mm. they you know, she hates him and kirk just sort of just gives back what he gets where he's you know secretly really into her isn't he but i haven't paid good money to come here and be insulted by this cretinous cowboy yes, okay. let's cool it yeah cool it you're asking the ice maiden to cool it She's been divorced three times and the grounds are frostbite. Now let's go. <laughs> I think also, doesn't uh, Louise say, I sense a chill in here, and Kirk says, yeah, Miss Birdseye just crossed her legs. <laughs> but you're right, she's quite aggressive, but I think what they do quite well, or what John Sullivan does quite well, is she snaps at John sometimes. Yeah. And then, I think she does it in this one, but then she goes, sorry, John. You know, she just, she's yeah. an unhappy person. She is. As most of them are, but... It's only really, it, Kurt gets her rubbed up the wrong way and 
then she kind yeah. of just lashes out. Mm. Mrs. Arnott was actually quite enraptured by Kirk's story of his romance in, in St. Lucia. She remarks that her daughter went on one of those Club 1830 holidays as well once. And Kirk kind yeah. of put out saying, I wouldn't be on an 1830 holiday. <laughs> You honestly imagine me, Kirk St. Moritz, on a Club 1830 holiday? That's ridiculous. Yeah, thanks, Ralphie. Kirk wouldn't qualify. <laughs> Not unless they took mental age into account. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so he wraps up the story and he says that basically Lola, this was her name, her insane jealousy brought about the end of their relationship mm. as she didn't like his plutonic foreplay with other girls. Well, that'll do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah if you're going to flirt all the time. But just as he's sort of trying to get to the climax of his story, John bursts in and everyone just ignores Kirk. At this point, he's going, baby! <laughs> everyone ignores him because John's bursting, oh, hi, John, how are you doing, you know? Yeah, I think they're grateful, aren't they, at this stage, that there's a, a change, in, change of scenery. Uh, Louise and Kate particularly, I think, mm. are very grateful. And Louise proceeds to announce that there is a Wednesday night person throwing a party that they're all invited to, which, again, I think is setting it up for a future episode. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say you have to have watched the previous ones in Dear John to follow what's happening, but there is a narrative. Yes. There's a timeline set up, isn't there? And it, it's sort of like a, a chronological... You can see things emerging as, as the episodes go on. Yeah. Just little building blocks. Little building blocks are put in place. Quite clever, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And while Kate disappears for a coffee, and she goes and gets around in deliberately excluding Kirk, <laughs> John starts telling Ralph and Kirk about his, his problem, that he's dateless mm. and he wants to go to this thing. Ralph assumes he needs a date to prove he's not gay, rather than that he's, that yeah, he's a lady was, man. That's... A weird assumption to yeah. go to, isn't it? Mm. It's quite good that he wasn't offended, though. Yeah. Which, you know, of the time, people, men, often would be threatened by the masculinity being challenged. Yeah, and be upset by it, yeah. But mm. Kirk, Kirk's straight to the rescue saying, yeah, you can take one of my birds, borrow one of my birds. And John's reticent to even discuss this, <laughs> isn't he? And you can understand why he's saying he needs someone with social graces, clearly doubting that any any lady that's been with Kirk has that. Yeah. He says he, need, he needs someone who conducts herself in a ladylike fashion, who won't get drunk, throw pickled onions across the room or spit in the kitchen sink. Brilliant. Sums it up, doesn't it? That's all he needs. <laughs> if that's all he needs, I mean, you know, should be a fairly decent pool to pick from. But um, Kirk wants to set John up with a girl called Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws. Oh. He's narrowed it down, inquiring whether John is adamant about the spitting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but John declines. He's, he's not going to risk hooking up with one of Kirk's girls. And Kate returns. No coffee for Kirk. Mrs. Arnott sidles in, doesn't she, with like a coy look on her face? She does. This is quite sweet because she's brought a coffee for Kirk, bashfully sort of saying, I'll fetch you a coffee. As no, you didn't have any. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> but then he's a right ass because he says, did you not bring any sugar? Yeah. And gives it a back. Poor, poor lady. Well, she says... back for sugar. She says, shall I go back and get some sugar? And he says, well, I think you're better, aren't you? <laughs> it's really <gasps> condescending. Poor Mrs. Arnott. I fetched you some coffee. I knew you hadn't got any. Oh, thank you. Did you bring any sugar? No. I don't drink coffee without sugar. 
shall run back to the cafeteria and get you some. It would be a good idea. <laughs> These people, they never think. John tries to ask Kate to accompany him to the party. He says, have you got plans tomorrow, Kate? And immediately Ralph interrupts, saying he wishes he had plans. He hasn't been out on a Saturday for ages. And Kate says, well, you can come round to mine for a, for a broccoli-free supper. Oh, sweet. Yeah. He, oh, I think, Kate, I think Kate would have gone. And obviously, if, if, if she had, the chances are that them two returning to the one-to-one club might ne- never happen, which is, again, the end of the show. Yeah. But I, I can imagine. I can imagine them two would have would have perhaps hit it off. Yeah, had they have spent time together just like that, one to one. Kirk and Kate is the sort of unlikely. Yeah. Will they? Won't they? But there is mm. elements in this and another episode of maybe Kate and John could be a couple. Yeah. But it stays platonic, really, doesn't it? it? It's because desperate John is on his way out and he, he he's had enough and he tries one last shot and invites Louise. Um, directly and platonically really but sex obsessed Louise declines stating well that's very kind of you dear but I don't think it's a good idea why not? because I know exactly what would happen we would go to the party have a few drinks and dances together and eventually the combination of alcohol and close physical contact would create such an atmosphere of stimulation and arousal that our inhibitions would take flight then on the way home we'd stop off at your place or mine and have a coffee and a liqueur lights would be lowered soft music played and eventually you wouldn't be able to stop yourself running your finger up and down my spine nibbling my ear talking dirty things like that (laughs) we wouldn't be able to stop ourselves spending a night of abandoned passion and then in the morning we may just may regret it yeah no you wouldn't regret it. I wouldn't do it. No? no. Tomorrow's bad for me, dear. It's funny seeing that, isn't it? It is. Flirtatious, and then, and then when he says that he wouldn't do it, she looks a bit put out. She does. Because that, I think that's, that seems to be her aim, almost, to talk about sex. And I don't know. Do you think... Oh. Do you think it's against the the one to one club rules to to sleep with members? Do you think that straight away gets you struck off? Don't know the leadership job. Maybe if you're a Friday night person, you can sleep with a Wednesday night person. Mix and match, perhaps, or a, or a Monday night person, but not a mm. not a fellow Friday night person. But not from your own, not from your own group. I think in the second series, or even in this series, Sylvia gets introduced, and she's quite interested in John, isn't she? So, mm. and Louise seems to be matchmaking even. So I don't think it's. I don't think it's counter the rules, but maybe it's counterproductive in terms of this sort of pop psychology that she's trying to do, you know? Yeah. And with membership, because she's obviously trying to get people to come to the club, but if they're all leaving and pairing up, then yeah, they're just going to be like her and Kirk at the end. Yeah, I don't think she'd be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any sexual problems? <laughs> so back in John's bed set, he's lying in bed, He's in a monologues working out how many women in London there are <laughs> and lamenting that he can't even get one of them. Aww. Poor John. And he turns the light off, accepting kind of reluctantly he's not going to be able to go to the party, is he, at this point? And then the phone rings in the lobby. Da-da-da. We hear Mrs. Lemensky answer it. I thought John would have jumped out of bed, but Mrs. Lemensky answers it. Yeah. And there's a knock on the door saying, Mad person, Mad telephone. Person. <laughs> I think we're supposed to assume it's Jennifer Asquith phoning back. Exactly, yes, of course. But the closing gag turns out that the final person John is asking to the party over the phone 
and who indeed accepts for some reason, <laughs> is in fact the operator. Aww. Poor John. Poor lonely John. I know. Bless him. Poor lonely operator that he's accepted an invite to a party from some rando. I know, to a party with someone that he doesn't even know. Oh dear. And the episode ends there. Seems we've sung love's last song, dear John. Bric-a-brac. I had some bric-a-brac this week. I don't know if you did. Well, yeah. Only things that we've talked about already in terms of the KFC sign. Just because it was a, an old-fashioned sign in a seat in a in a street, sorry. Um, there was two things. Both John and Kirk had little black books. Yeah, that's a. Is it something that you keep? Is it something that young people people don't anymore because they've got phones, haven't they? Everything's yeah. inside your phone, so black books not even a, a thing anymore. It's all on WhatsApp. WhatsApp secret messages now, isn't it? <laughs> Hidden messages, yeah. The other thing I picked up on was the dangly light switch above John's bed. Yeah, that's an old thing, isn't it? Mm. The big dangly one that comes right down and yeah. dangles in front of you. That's really old school, I think. It is, isn't it? You don't tend to see them anymore. Is that a safety thing, do you think, that you don't see those anymore in case someone like gets a neck wrapped around it? I don't know. But you definitely don't. It's definitely of its time. Mm. I got into trouble a few years ago when I went to some friend's house and uh, I'd had a few drinks in the afternoon and then I went for a wee. And in the toilet, there was one of those dangly cords like that. Right. But it had been snipped up near the top. So it was in the corner of the bathroom, but it had right. been snipped. And God knows why. I was like, oh, there's a fucking dangly cord up there. And you're like, I'm a button presser <laughs> and everything. I was like, oh, it's been snipped. So without thinking it's been snipped for a reason, I got a chair. And you pulled it. it. And I pulled it. Yeah. And unexpectedly, it didn't launch a nuclear missile or anything nothing happened good and then i carried on getting more drunk and then the following morning i drove home and then that afternoon i got a phone call from saying did you do anything in our bathroom i've completely fucked the plumbing <gasps> just by pulling this i had to pay for the plumber come out and fix it by pulling a cord why what happened i don't know but it's obviously been snipped because it wasn't oh. supposed to be fucking pulled yeah but like yeah. a child i'm like oh, look at that what does that do yeah yeah look of course. at that dangling yeah gonna have to pull it gonna have to pull it Bloody see what tool. it does <laughs> yeah oh god that was yeah really i really upset them actually <laughs> i hope they're not listening to this and bring back bad <laughs> memories anyway have you got an mvp um for this episode my mvp i think it's going to be mrs arnott this week oh yeah just for her purity and kindness towards kirk which was unfortunately thrown back in her face but the fact that she was thinking just thinking of somebody else that other people didn't think about. Hmm. Nobody wanted to get Kirk a drink because he annoys them, and she still sort of stepped in. Do you think he? F- do you think she fancies him? Yeah. Possibly, yeah. And it would be like you know, like unrequited. It, it would be. I can't see even a, a a weirdly written fan fiction episode of Dear John where Mrs. Anna ends up with Kirk because that would be too weird. I can't yeah. picture that ever even being a thing. Even though the age gap's probably only about ten years. It is exactly, but I can I can sort of yeah I think it was done out of the cat. She 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 recognised that he was struggling and that a drink might be a nice thing to do. Well, I think you've convinced me. I was going to give it to Mrs. Lemensky. Were you? Just because her pigeon English amuses me. You're still eating chickens. Yeah, and that like, cutting line about it being was she particularly tall and fat? <laughs> it's a hell of a long time to dry herself. <laughs> But no, you convinced me. I'm going to change my mind and give it to Mrs. Arnott. Mrs. Arnott? Yeah. So, 
let's have a look at Mrs. Arnott's hat and all the other little bits of fashion that were in this week's episode. Whatever happened to those clothes we wore? It seems we never wear those clothes no more. Fashion code. Nah. So in the opening scene, we see John in the playground with the smoker and the flirty schoolgirl. And he's, he's dressed in his usual fawny, rusty-coloured corduroy jacket, which I think now, when I, when I see that, I think John, straight away. Mm, I think that's yeah. a, it's definitely a John, a John item of clothing. Mrs. Lemensky, when she meets John in, in, the, in the lobby, when he's on the phone reporting a fault to the operator, she has a wonderful purple knitted hat on. She, she seems to wear quite a bit of purple, actually, and I think it quite suits her that colour. It must be a colouring. Mm. But the, the purple knitted hat, as she wanders in, asking if John's still eating chickens, she's, she's got that on her head at that point. In the one-to-one meeting, we see Kirk out of his normal uniform of his, his white shirt and his leather pants. He's got those on, but he's got this, this shirt, like a yellow embroidered cowboy shirt. Which I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to sort of fit with my idea of, of Kurt really. Mm. Um, it's open neck, as with all the shirts that he wears, with like a brown piping around the edges and stitched on flowers. Mm. So it's an, an unusual, unusual combo. That the leather trousers are still there. Yes. In the same group meeting, we see Louise wearing a houndstooth pussy ball blouse in black and white. Again, that print is very in my head of the 80s. And as we've discussed before, the pussy ball blows was a big 80s symbol of, I think, powerful women. It became like a Thatcherite image of powerful women wearing yeah, these. Yeah, I know what you mean, actually, yeah. yeah. Wearing these, um, these blouses. Kate, in the meeting, is dressed in a striped blue, like a trouser suit with a black blouse underneath. They looked a bit like pyjamas. Yeah. They looked very comfy. And yeah. I think, no, like over the pandemic, fashion seems to have moved quite a lot towards um, like re- relaxation wear. So mm. even now when you're going somewhere, it's quite acceptable to be dressed in like, like a tracky or just something that you would relax in at home. They're, they're seen out and about now and, it's, and that's fine. It's quite acceptable. Hasn't it been the case that people would go, um, women would go shopping in their pajamas? In the pajamas, anyway, yeah. Well, that time. seems to have that seems to have become a more of a, an accepted way of, of dressing, even out in public now. Not in pajamas, but in like a relaxation wear. Hmm. So I think so. Kate seems to be a forerunner in the um, post-pandemic athleisure wear because sometimes like a like a tracky, a tracky bordering on pajamas. Hmm. It's quite a short one, eh? It was. Things are becoming more familiar now. There's, there's lots of things that are becoming like repeats of, of things. There's, there's nothing out of the ordinary. Like where we used to have like Margot with mm. the, like different outfits every week, which was part of the it was part of the makeup of the show, weren't it really? But in Dear John, it seems to be because it's more of a these are natural people that you would that you could come across on a regular basis. Apart from Kirk, fa- maybe. <laughs> apart from Kirk, the fashion seems to be everyday. It's like an everyday wear rather than uh, like a one-off. And also, this episode was uh, about ten minutes of it was set in John's flat, wasn't it? So, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Hey, it's frigid, frigid. <laughs> so uh, next week's episode 
is entitled Toby. Toby, all right. Yeah, it's the one, I think, where he takes him to the zoo, much to his uh, disappointment, because basically he takes him to the zoo every week, doesn't he? He does, he does. Poor kid. So we get to see Ralph Bates' real-life son in this, who, yes, I, don't know, I don't know if you know this, he's now a um, internationally acclaimed musician. Is he? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, he does lots of, lots of TV show music. Um, really? He's very successful, yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you the correct terminology because I don't operate in that world, but he's right. very highly respected and very successful. Well, well done, Ralph Bates' son. Yes. So if you're enjoying Deep Diving Dear John with us, you can follow us at Sado Podcast on Twitter and Instagram where we post rare photos and videos of Dear John, Faulty Towers and The Good Life. We have a Facebook page as well that you can find by searching Sado Podcast and we also have a growing Facebook group that you can join and contribute to with discussion or memes or anything that you find yourself. Subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website which is sado.club and then there you can find and get information about us, read our blog, show us a coffee and listen to the episodes if you don't do podcast apps. You can also watch the original episodes that we discuss on our episode notes pages or take our super tricky Good Life and Faulty Towers quizzes. Get in touch with us by email at saddlepodcast at gmail.com and if you can, can you subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from? Yep, doesn't have to be Apple Podcasts, it can be anywhere. Just leave us a nice review, tell us if you're enjoying it. Um, if you're not enjoying it, you can keep that to yourself if you want, or just send us abuse via email. Get that every now and again. That doesn't <laughs> bother me. Tickles me, to be honest. If it's particularly vitriolic, it's quite amusing, so not yourself out. People do get very angry, don't they, about things? Only a handful. Most people are lovely, but you get yeah, people who just want to send people abuse. Just scroll on, find something else to do. Yeah, as you always say, other podcasts are available. They are indeed. So do join us next week, if you don't hate us, <laughs> <laughs> for episode five of Dear John, Toby, and we'll discuss that in depth. That's it for this week, isn't it? It is, it is. We'll see you then. Oh, there we go then. I'm off for a Telford fried chicken. Excellent. I'll see you <laughs> Goodbye. Dear John, dear by the time you read this life, I'll be gone. Life goes on, right or wrong. Now it's all been said and done, dear John. Seems we've sung. Love's last song, dear John. I might cut out that bit about people in Telford only having four fingers. Four fingers, <laughs> perhaps that's probably wise, yes.